Hello, and welcome to The Queers Are Watching. I'm Hannah. And I'm Sarah. And today, we're going to go in a little bit of a different direction than we normally go. My favorite direction. Into the world of true crime and dramatized true crime. Yes! In case <laughs> you don't already know what we're talking about, which you probably should because you probably read the description, we're going to be talking about The Staircase, the 2022 drama version not the on hbo max yes not the documentary that i actually never watched because people told me it was really boring i only watched half of it because it was so fucking boring okay so how many episodes was it like eight i think and then they like added the other three or something like that yeah no that seems to me to be too long i i don't know my girlfriend watched it all and she said parts were boring but it was interesting overall and i was like i don't know i think you like boring stuff (laughs) <laughs> hmm. and like i i tend to like slow stuff but sometimes i struggle with slow documentaries yeah because i'm like yeah i get that you got all this footage and you want to use it as much as possible but sometimes you just got to make some cuts that's true and like eight episodes of like actual true facts for this case seems like it might make it too slow We should just leave that. Does everyone hear that traffic in the background? (laughs) I mean, yeah. So here's the thing. We're recording. This is like a little sidebar, but we're recording in my living room, which we haven't really done. And we're leaving the door open because it is the summertime and it is very hot. It's June in California. So we decided we might just have some background noise going on. So, so sorry, but also not sorry because I don't want to be sweating. I can't wait until they can hear the peacocks. Because they're out. I, I saw oh, them. Oh, no. They are going to scream. You're right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, <laughs> anyway, what were we saying? <laughs> oh, I can introduce. We, we, we can stop chit-chatting, I okay, guess. Okay, okay. I can introduce the staircase. So, like Hannah said, it's the 2022 drama miniseries. It's rated TVMA, and it's only eight episodes. Um, the director is Antonio Campos. The writers are Antonio Campos, Craig Shilowish, Emily Kazmarek, and Maggie Kahn. And it stars Tony Collette, Colin Firth, Parker Posey, Olivia DeJong, and Sophie Turner, amongst many others. It is an ensemble cast, and we will get tripped up trying to remember everybody's fucking name because this family's fucking huge. I know, and I remembered that detail before I watched this just from, like, hearing about the case. I was like, oh, yeah, they had, like, a huge, like, blended family. Like, how are they mm-hmm. going to handle it? I almost thought that, like, maybe they would not include the kids very much but the kids were like very much part of the story yeah i think they had to use their lives to keep it afloat while he was in prison because that would have been really fucking boring yeah that's true because it just would have been the same thing over and over again of like sophie visiting him and him being like i really would like to not be in prison please (laughs) (laughs) and it would have been like he would have had more okay so like i heard in the news that he said that all the information they got about him being in prison is from a book he wrote about it like i don't know if it was like a published book but like something he wrote about it so he's like basically they just ripped off everything that i said and it's like yeah they're writing about your life my dude like yeah and okay here's the thing (laughs) he wrote two books like one is like more of an overall memoir story of his life and then one is behind the staircase which is a book about the case and 
you know, at first I was like, how can you do that? Because you're not allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. But I guess he just, like, did the thing where, like, all the proceeds from the book go to charity. So he's not profiting off of it. Oh, So if you do that, I guess, (laughs) and you don't directly profit from it, you're allowed to write a book about the person you murdered. Oh, so fun fact. When I went into this, I was like, I do not want the Petersons to profit off of me watching this. And I feel weird about it. But I found out that actually what they did get for the content as the guide is the docuseries. So the Petersons sold themselves to the docuseries and the documentarians from the docuseries sold the information to Antonio Campos. So actually they're not making any money off of this drama series. Um, and they're super pissed about it, basically. I And I heard that the documentarian was pissed, too. Oh, yeah. He be- thinks that they made them look bad. Like, the documentarians look bad. And the Petersons, which he says wasn't his intention. And I'm like, okay, so you admit it. Like, you went into that documentary with the intention of, like, making Michael Peterson look innocent. Yeah. Like, okay. I mean, that's the... I don't remember which one's which. One is Jean, and the other one is... I can't remember his name. Oh, the, like, producer guy? Yeah, the producer guy. The one that was not the actual documentary. No one cares about him. He was an asshole. He was an asshole, yeah. I but mean, Jean, in the drama, like, I don't know how he is in real life. Don't quote me on true. that. Allegedly, allegedly, he's <laughs> well, an asshole. Well, he's the one, the producer is the one that thinks that he was guilty the whole time. And Jean, the documentarian, is the one who thinks that he was innocent. And he's saying, like, oh, it made me look like a bad documentarian or whatever. But, like, if you went into it with that mindset... Yeah, and, like, it kind of, I mean, and you could argue that, like, maybe as he kept the filming process, like, going, he slowly started to believe that he was innocent, but how? How, fam? I don't, (laughs) there's so many things that not only make him look guilty, but, like, are evidence of him being guilty of something, and it's just, like, I don't know. And, like, this is where this podcast is going in a different direction than it normally does because like we have to talk about the real case in order to talk about this drama miniseries and like I like let's get get this out of the way I think he killed Kathleen I think he did too I think he's guilty and you can try and sue our podcast but we don't have any money so good luck yeah and I mean (laughs) we didn't say he did it although he you know did have to technically plead guilty to manslaughter in the end guilty so just saying spoiler alert but you, you know, this has been facts for a while, so. <laughs> um, I don't even know where we should start to talk about this. Oh, let's start by talking about why we're talking about it on this podcast, just in case anyone doesn't know. Okay. Um, as I texted to Sarah asking if we could podcast about this, it is bad rep, but it is rep because... Unfortunately. Michael Peterson is a bisexual Is very bisexual. Man. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, you know, we don't want him or claim him. No, thank you. Um, But but those are his words. He says, I'm just very bisexual. That's all. Yeah, like, he actually said that. So, like, we kind of, you know, here we are. So we have to include him. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's actually how it works, but we also, like, both watched this. And I think that the way that his bisexuality is brought into this is a very interesting topic of conversation and it was brought into like the actual trial to like basically make him look like devious and unfortunately for us bisexuals he is devious 
So, and like we have the added extra layer of this was the early 2000s mm-hmm. and it was in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's so many layers to it because I'm like, okay, first of all, he is devious, as you said. Mm-hmm. But also like, do I think that maybe bringing that into the trial made the jury feel one way or the other about him because it was such a salacious thing at the time. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's the way that he went about choosing to express his sexuality. Like he kept it a secret from his wife and then he insisted that she knew about it and that that couldn't quote, that couldn't be a motive is what he was trying to say. Like, Oh, she knew about it. So it's not a motive for me murdering her or whatever. Um, but he had affairs behind her back with multiple men local gay men and many of them corroborated that yeah and then we get into this whole thing of at the end of the miniseries it's revealed through footage that um jean got yeah that jean shows to sophie um of michael admitting that he did lie about that aspect he said yeah actually kathleen didn't know i lied about that Mm -hmm. and i was like i wonder if that really happened um i think okay so at first i was like maybe that's just for dramatic effect like who knows if that really happened however i read that um antonio campos got full access to their archives including stuff they didn't put in the docuseries mm, so if that was something that was recorded he would have seen it yeah and well i was gonna say i didn't read behind the staircase because i would not want to read Michael, Michael Peterson. Peterson talking about his <laughs> sob story. Anyone more full of himself. Yeah. Honestly. Um, but allegedly, says people on the internet, in that book, he says that he regrets not actually telling Kathleen. So I guess after everything was said and done, he was like, oh yeah, she didn't know about it. Dun dun dun. Which like, to me, makes sense as a motive. And yeah. Like, this is where it gets really sad and fucked up because I think the miniseries even, maybe it was just Colin Firth, maybe it was the writing, maybe it was the direction, but I think it did make me feel empathy for his character at times Mm -hmm. because of the way it was framed. And I did get the sense of, like, they were trying to say, like, he was so painfully closeted that, like, that would be a reason for him to lash out and kill Kathleen if she found out about it. I mean, that's not the first time someone who is painfully closeted has murdered someone over their own sexuality. Like, that's not out of reach here. But it's also, like, not a justification. I'm not going to be like, oh, poor you. You're so closeted that you get to murder someone? Like, no, sis. No, no, no. No, and I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, like... Just to be clear, we're not saying that. No one's saying that. Yeah, (laughs) it's just a sad world and a sad situation Mm -hmm. where someone can feel like the best way for them to move forward in a situation is to kill another person mm-hmm. because they're so afraid of the consequences of someone else knowing who they are. Like, that's really sad. Yeah. So do I feel bad for him? No, because I also think that from what I've seen of him, like the snippets of footage and hearing him speak Mm -hmm. and all of that I'm like no I don't feel sorry for you I think you're a psychopath but that is the other thing okay so like this drama series on HBO Max 
it made them look so fucking normal. Like, even when they had problems that were a little bit outrageous, it was like, okay, every family has wild problems. There's always one fuck up in the family. Like, this is a blended family. It's going to have a lot of things going on. However, if you watch the docuseries, they look like fucking psychopaths. Like, they have no emotion. They stand by him, like, no matter what. They talk like robots. Everyone sounds like a stepford wife. It's so fucking scary. Like, no, this, this gave him, <laughs> Colin Firth gave him too much personality. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's what I was reading too, from people that had watched the documentary and the miniseries was that they like got very culty vibes mm -hmm. from the documentary. Like all the kids seemed like they were just following their little cult leader mm -hmm. and they were totally brainwashed. And that clearly wasn't the way it was portrayed in the miniseries. Like there was a little bit of like. But I wouldn't call it brainwashing. It was just, like, the regular yeah. amount of, like, you not wanting to believe that your guardian could do something like this. Yeah, I think in the beginning it was really, like, we have to stand by our dad. And then when, like, things started to fall apart, that's when you started to see them sort of second-guess it. Yeah. And I mean, like, one of the saddest things about this whole thing, which apparently actually happened to some extent, was, like, the fact that Kathleen's daughter who was like really close with the other daughters mm -hmm. kind of had to like separate herself slash get separated from her family because she was the one that decided like, you know what? I do think that he did do it. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of exiled her and it's really sad. Yeah. It's really fucked up. Like she grew up with them. Like they do kind of make it seem like they were all in and out of each other's lives, but in actuality, they spent most of their formative years together. Mm -hmm. So it's really fucked up to think, like, you grow up with someone as a sibling, like, you live in the same house as them. You treat them no different. They never call her, like, a stepsister or a half-sister. They only call her a sister. And then the minute she's like, I think he might have done this, they turn on her. And the weird thing about that is, which I did not know, because maybe I wasn't paying attention or I didn't get to this part in the documentary, um, the two sisters that stayed by their father what are their names? Martha and... Margaret. Margaret. They are not his daughters. They are the daughters of the other woman who fell down the stairs in Germany. <laughs> That's fucking nuts. Yeah. I have no idea. I didn't catch that either. And I've listened to a lot of podcasts on this case. Me too. So I don't know if they like didn't cover it because it's so convoluted and they didn't oh, want to do it like that. But yeah, I had no idea that those weren't his daughters at all. So. Yeah. So if you didn't know that, so obviously this is the story of Michael Peterson, who was tried and convicted of his wife, Kathleen Peterson's murder. So she, quote, fell down the staircase and she was like beaten, bloody and battered. And that's how she died. And he said that she fell, whereas like there's kind of some proof that like maybe she didn't fall. She could have been beaten. And so they found him guilty of that murder. Now. That's crazy, right? Like someone falling down the stairs and dying and being like so bloody it looks like they were beaten. I mean, what are the odds? Well, <laughs> you might say they're two in a million <laughs> because Michael Peterson lived in Germany at some point with his wife and they had a neighbor that they were very close to and she had two little girls and she also fell down a staircase and died and... It just so happened that Michael Peterson was the last person to see her before that happened. And after she died, because her husband had already died at the time, 
he sort of inherited her children and he adopted them. And then at some point we find out that he tried to give them away. No, he tried to oh. give one away. He tried to give one away because she wasn't handling her grief well. Yeah. And he didn't know what to do with Which her. Which is actually way more fucked it up is than fucked him up. being like, oh, I'm not fit to like handle these two children. No, he was like, I'm going to keep this one because she's well behaved and easy to handle. Mm-hmm. And the one who is being quote unquote difficult, I'm going to try to pawn off on someone else and separate these already traumatized children. And not only did he kind of do that he let the girls stay there for the summer and he was going to leave one there when he found out how this was with their aunt so when he found out how religious their aunt was he said oh no you don't need to teach them that crap and took them back and i'm not a religious person but if you're trying to give away a kid already what do you care what they learn or what they don't yeah well if you're a narcissist <laughs> and you're obsessed with yourself and you think that you are the fucking best he's so controlling yeah. he's so disgusting i can't there's nothing about this man that is redeemable. As much as Colin Firth made me like kind of lose it a little bit because I just, I love him so much. He's such a good actor. He, he's like, and he's too charismatic as mm-hmm. an actor to mm-hmm. play someone who's like not at all charismatic. Exactly. I was like, they, he really made him out to be someone he's not and he should be happy about his portrayal. He's yeah. not happy about his portrayal, by the way, but. Oh, really? Oh, he was super pissed. He said, um, what is the phrase he used? That it's nothing but egregious lies is what he says. Which is interesting because to me, the documentary, or sorry, the miniseries kind of left it a little open-ended. Like, yeah, there's still a question at the end. They didn't say like, oh, he did it, everyone. Yeah, like, it's, not, it's not definitive. Especially because they portray him like struggling with the fact that to get the Alfred plea to get out of prison, he had to say he was guilty. And he didn't want to do that because he was saying, I'm not guilty. And even though he admitted that like, Kathleen didn't know that he was bisexual or about his lovers. That's not, that's still not necessarily him being guilty. It's a motive, but it's not like, we don't know that for sure. Yeah. The prosecution was saying that she found some emails that were pornographic in nature Mm -hmm. or, and or documenting like affairs that were happening because he he did seem to be doing a little more than just casual sex with some of these guys. Like, mm-hmm. he was having phone conversations with them. Yeah, like, he was, he was, like, prolonging, like, an emotional relationship over the phone or on the email. Yeah. And not that one's, like, necessarily worse than the other, but it is different. Yeah. Um. So they were saying that Kathleen found some of this material and probably confronted him about it and that he, like panicked and killed her basically or flew into a rage and killed her depending Mm -hmm. like on who you ask in the reenactment they do and they do like we should warn you if you haven't seen this and you've been like on the fence about watching it um one thing i will say is that if you are not comfortable watching somebody die three separate times do not watch it because tony collette is a phenomenal amazing show-stopping actress and she just portrays Kathleen in such an amazing, like, emotionally charged way. And they do, like, every time um, Michael's defense comes up with a new way that she could have died that was not Michael-related, we have to see it acted out. And it is very horrible. Like, it's very traumatizing. It's like really watching someone die. And I was not happy about that. And we do get to see one in which... Michael does kill her and that's also upsetting yeah it 
it was a long, like they're pretty long scenes. Some of them are longer than others, but it's like, yeah, her acting is just too good to the point where like, it makes you really uncomfortable to mm-hmm. sit there and watch mm-hmm. her flop around like a fish mm-hmm. and gasp for just air. Just gasping for air. And like you could, like you could almost hear blood in her lungs and like, she's not really dying. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. It's so horrible. I almost, like, had to fast forward. I was like, oh, I don't think I can handle this. Yeah, and that was something that I read because every time something like this comes out now, even if it's just a podcast, Mm -hmm. like, there's always people that say things like, this kind of storytelling doesn't do any good for the victim. It, Mm -hmm. like, is kind of, like, trauma porn about Mm -hmm. them without their consent. Mm -hmm. And I see that. And I can definitely see how someone would watch this and be like, I mm-hmm. think that's fucked up that they had her die three separate times. It's so bad. But on the other hand, I also do think that because, partially because Tony Collette is just so amazing, like this did humanize her mm-hmm. in a way that never would have happened before because she's always just kind of talked about as like, a Stepford wife that was like super perfect and mm-hmm. everyone loved her and all of this, but like we never, you know, she wasn't necessarily a whole person. And like, obviously this is fiction. This is drama. Mm-hmm. Like I can't really know that that's how she was, but I think it made me see the story in a little bit of a different way. Okay. I could see that. But I also definitely understand why people are like, uh, yeah, I can't imagine. <laughs> I don't, obviously I don't think her sisters and her daughter have watched this. I wouldn't if I were them, but like, yeah. I could see how that would not be good for them to watch. I would not. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of Tony Collette's acting, like there is a scene that like I totally forgot that I wasn't like in real life, like watching someone <laughs> like it was acting that is that good that you like forget about your own life mm-hmm. and anything mm-hmm. else that's going on and you're just in the moment with that person, which is when they had a fight in the restaurant. Oh, at the Chinese restaurant? Yeah. Yeah. Because she was, like, so stressed about her job and then he, like, says some stupid-ass shit to her and she, like, loses it. And it's, like, she just has... Tony Collette has this way of, like, portraying... Like, someone coming unraveled Mm -hmm. so perfectly. Mm -hmm. And, like, but not coming unraveled in a way that you, like, look at and you're like, oh, that person's just crazy. Like, you don't want to write her off. Oh, no, she's justified. Yeah. You're like, oh, my God. Like, someone please help her. (laughs) (laughs) Help her escape this marriage. Yeah. And not the way she did, obviously. So, (laughs) I probably should have looked into this before, but... You know, there are those people that, like, see killers or whatever in the media, and then they, like, write them in prison, and then they, like, fall in love with them or whatever. Well, Sophie was the editor of the docuseries in real life, and she was editing it, and through editing, she fell in love with Michael Peterson. She contacted him when she went to prison by writing him a letter. They exchanged letters and books and whatever, um, and then from becoming pen pals, they became romantically involved. Um, and she just fell for him, hook, line, and secret. And I don't, I don't understand it. 
Um, she has said, okay, so in the, in the series, she stays with him until the very end and then they get in a big blow and that's the end of the show basically. But in real life, she has said that they broke up before she started editing the three episodes that were him coming out of prison. So she was already broken up with him before he was released Mm. is what she said. Okay. So. Interesting. I think that's interesting, but I want to know if what he said to her in the end is the same because when they get into a big blowout he it's it's important to contextualize this i guess so we talked about jean getting that little clip of michael talking about how he lied that kathleen did not know about him being bisexual or his lovers or anything like that now he tells a story about being like experimenting with this um kid his age when they were young the shortstop on his on baseball his team. baseball team and that his dad catches him and he beats the shit out of him and he was there with this black guy and he was realizing like who he could not be and who would not be accepted and he tells john after recording all of that that he wants him to show sophie after and i do not know what he meant by that and then after him and sophie get into a huge argument where he says he doesn't want to move to paris with her even though he's out of prison now and she says why not he says he doesn't want to live with women anymore. And he doesn't say it. He screams he it. He screams it in her face. Yeah. And then she says, did you ever love me? And he says, I don't know. She obviously takes off heartbroken. She goes to Jean. He shows her the clip then. I don't know the sequence in which she's happened. I don't know if this was true. But it seems that... He was saying, I want to live my life as a gay man. I don't want to be married to women anymore. See, yeah, this is one of the most interesting points for me because I couldn't decide if it was that, although I have a feeling it's probably that, Mm -hmm. or if it was simply the fact that like he did ultimately lie, Mm -hmm. even though she was like so convinced that he would never lie about anything. Like Mm -hmm. she just at every, at every turn, she was like, oh no, how could he? Even though he kept lying and lying. And then, like, this was, like, proven that he lied to her. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he said that he didn't know if he loved her, which to her was like, okay, so you manipulated me Mm -hmm. into helping you get out of prison. Mm -hmm. Because in the miniseries, she is instrumental in getting him out of prison. She does all the work. Which I don't know how true or not true that is. Maybe not true because if she was already broken up with him by the time he got out, maybe that's not the case Well, she might have helped him get the Alfred plea and maybe convince him to take it. Yeah, true. But yeah, so she's realizing like, oh, like I got played. Mm -hmm. And like that could be also like just the fact that like she's like, oh, so he is a liar. I, but I know what, yeah, it's. it's I want (laughs) to know if she really said that. Like, I want to know how much of that is true. Did she tell them, hey, he told this to me when we broke up that he doesn't want to live with women anymore. So the answers we don't know. I did try to look this up. Okay. So in a Cinemaholic article, they say, quote, in HBO Max's show, Michael reveals to Sophie that Kathleen wasn't aware of his bisexuality, contrary to his claim that she was. However, there aren't any sources to state this particular incident happened in reality, indicating that this particular revelation is most likely a fictional detail. End quote. Okay. I don't know that that indicates that, but okay. Yeah. I mean. It implies that. Yeah, it does. It does imply that. (laughs) That's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. 
cinemaholic. <laughs> it's not the same. Who knows how that conversation went down, but, or like if it went down at all, but. Hard to say. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't decide if they were trying to say that he was actually gay because he just said, like he said, I knew that I had to hide that part of myself. Mm -hmm. He wasn't saying like, I had to hide my entire self and like live a lie. Like he never said anything like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And like he, I don't know, this is kind of gross, but I also have to just say this because it made me, it made me wonder. I'm worried. (laughs) Like, when he gets out of prison, like, he, like, he's pretty old. Like, he's in his 70s. Mm-hmm. He's, like, 72 or something. And, like, he and Sophie are fucking. Mm-hmm. And I'm, like, okay. Like, if he can actually get it up, like, he must be somewhat attracted to women to be able to do that at age 70. Like. Yeah. I mean, also, like, it was implied that he had no sex in prison. So, maybe he was just super hyped to have sex in general. I don't know that that was implied. I thought he was banging that guy for sure. The black janitor guy? Yeah. No. Oh, I got real vibes from them. Well, when they were like, when basically he was like saying like, get it together, Michael, and they were in the little laundry room together, that's when I thought they were going to fuck, but then they didn't. And I was just like, oh, okay, whatever. Well, I see, I, th- I thought about like, what are they trying to say with that? And I just wasn't sure if that was... Like, because they wanted to leave it up to the viewer, like, whether or not they were fucking. Okay. Or if they were like, oh, we don't want to show that on HBO Max, which is wild if they that would be wild. decided that. But Speaking of um, people being gay, possibly, um, what about Martha? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah, she's portrayed as queer. And Specifically it's... queer. She says the words, I am queer. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, I went on Twitter just because I was curious if anyone else was talking about this and if anyone had found any sources saying that, like, she actually came out in real life or anything. Mm -hmm. And, like, I found, like, one tweet of an angry, turfy lesbian who watched the show and said something to the effect of, Martha would never say that she was queer, especially not in 2005. No one was saying that. That's not true. She lived in San Francisco. (laughs) Like, I was like, what planet? I mean, turf planet, obviously. Obviously. But, like, plenty of people said they were queer in 2005. That's not that long ago. Like, certainly way more people use that label today. But that doesn't mean... Also, like, do you know Martha? Random... (laughs) Twitter turf? What if she did? Oh, man. Because the way she worded it was like, Martha would never say that. <laughs> I can't. It's also like the turf that 100 explicitly knows other people and their sexuality and their labels. I can't. Ugh. We don't like turfs here, just in case you wanted to know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> but it's like, and I mean, we don't have to get into this, but turfs often also have like wild views about bisexuality and like kind of like weird lesbian purity culture often comes into it a lot so that's true i'm like i guess you want to claim this like real live person as your own because you're so mad that she said she's queer instead of a lesbian it's weird energy but whatever (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i was like i i felt like they included her and included the detail about her sexuality to be like not all queer people (laughs) to be like okay guys like listen there's a very devious bisexual man who like is very likely a murderer but also here's like this sweet cinnamon roll 
And she's just living her little queer life. And she had trauma and she didn't kill anybody. Yeah. See? <laughs> and she certainly did have trauma. So much trauma, honey. Because my poor girl rolled up in Germany and, like, had to find out that, like, her father tried to give her away. Yeah, and it's not... What, the other one was Margaret? Yeah. Okay, so it's not Margaret's fault, but she did know that before Martha went to Germany. Yeah, but you know what? She was right. Don't... No. Yeah, I don't... Don't tell her that. Well, yeah, the whole... Like, in the in the show, she didn't tell her because she was so happy about something, so... Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because she... didn't she, want to ruin it. Yeah, <laughs> she was about to say something, and then... Yeah, Martha was like, oh my god, guess what? I'm happy and queer. Well, she didn't say that. Yeah. She said, I'm happy. Yeah. And she was like, I'll tell you later why. And then she never tells her until, like, the end. And she doesn't really tell her. Yeah. Like, she has to find out. So, it's kind of messed up. The whole thing is wild. They have a weird, contentious relationship. But I guess a lot of people do have that kind of relationship with their siblings. I wouldn't know my adoptive father did not murder my adoptive mother. Um, so I don't know what it's like to have that kind of relationship with a sibling, nor do I have a sibling. So, yeah, I couldn't put myself in that situation. <laughs> Would not know. Yeah. But I guess, I guess they also had to just give some depth to the children, as you said, because like you have to put some filler in there. Like yeah, when Michael's in prison, especially. And like you do, you learn things about each of the kids and you like follow their little journeys. You yeah. To... They, I mean, they had to give them some characterization. Like, yeah, we had to know them. You had to create an intimacy with them so that when they fall apart at the seams, you give a shit. Yes, exactly. And like it is uh, that scene at the restaurant after he gets out of prison mm. was actually really hard to watch with the son just like drinking himself like yeah. into being completely incoherent and yeah. like after he had been doing so well yeah although like the implication was like he was really a wild alcoholic the entire time like yeah. even though he was like having success in his life he was like absolutely yeah. off the rails so yeah. he was off the rails to begin with Ooh, that just reminded me of the part that i didn't like when they really show his life his name's todd by the way it's his oldest son um they show when his life is going off the rails when Michael is in jail and he's like showing a house to these women in Mexico trying to get them to buy it and they're trying to like schmooze with him like him and this other like realtor guy I guess and he gets shit face drunk and then they cut to him waking up and there's like blood on the pillow next to him and it seems like he fucking killed somebody because there is like a bra in the bed with him and there's blood all over the place. But then it turns out that he just got so drunk that he fell and hit his head. And like he touches the back of his head and he has like a bloody head. And he was just ready to accept that he killed someone so quick. He yes. was like, oh, I guess I blacked out and he murdered was, someone. He literally called his friend and was like, what happened? As if his friend was going to be like, oh yeah, don't you remember you murdered that girl? Like, what? Well, I think that shows, like, already how different he is from his father because, like, he was, his first thought wasn't, like, how do I cover this up? His first thought was, what happened? Like, where is that girl? Like, yeah. what's going on? And he, like, the guy was like, yeah, no, like, everything's fine. He's like, oh, so she's okay. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. And I think that that shows, like, what, sorry, that cracking noise was my arm. I hope y'all heard that. That was astonishing. <laughs>
Okay, so we're back after a pretty long intermission because my computer flipped out, like, so bad. Like, it was scary. It was having, like, a little seizure. It was, like, flashing really fast and, like, opening applications that were not open before. Like, before we started recording, I closed everything to be like, here, computer, I'll make it easier on you. You no. don't have to run multiple applications at once. No, she wanted to make it really hard. And then it opened Apple Podcasts and started playing a podcast and, like, allowed me to pause it and play it. But literally the clock stopped. Like, everything was bad. I was really upset. We thought we were going to have to re-record everything. Oh I was so scared. When you have to re-record something, you don't understand. Like, oh, that just hurts my soul. But luckily... GarageBand, which, yeah, you can make fun of me for using GarageBand. That's fine. Um, <laughs> it auto-saved uh, our progress. So here we are. Also, like, um, I think it was trying to tell us, like, you can listen to podcasts, but you can't make them. Those are the rules. I guess that must have been what it was saying. And it was a true crime podcast that started playing, which I guess isn't that weird because that is, like, 90% of the podcasts I listen to. That's true. But it could have been, it could have picked any one of those other ones that I also listen to that are not true crime. <laughs> And it also picked one that hasn't been updated in a long time. So I don't know is weird. what made it pick that one. It was the ghost of Michael Peterson trying to throw us off. Yeah. Um, so anyway, before my computer decided to... Have a meltdown. Yeah. Have some kind of problem. Medical emergency. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sarah was making a point, apparently. I was making a point. Um, my point was... <laughs> That I feel like, and okay, so just in the show, obviously, in the dramatic series, I feel like Todd's experience was him and also the other son, Clay. Is that his Clay, name? Clay, yeah. So Clay and Todd, I think, had the, the experience that they kind of felt that their, a piece of their murderous father lived within them. And I think they were kind of, you know, falling into despair because of that. Because when he was around, they were able to be like, my father would never do that. He's fighting for his innocence, blah, blah, blah. But as soon as he was put away in jail, like, it was downhill for one and then uphill for the other. So it was really like they were trying to decide, like, who they wanted to be and both of them were afraid they would end up being Michael. Yeah, it brings up, like, an interesting nature versus nurture thing constantly. Um, it's everywhere. But, like, okay, because help me out here. I don't remember in the show... Were they explicit about what Clay did? Or did they just keep saying spring break incident? Um, at some point they do say, like they, uh, they say it in so many words and I don't remember exactly the words, but they say that he got so angry that he hit her when he was drunk. Apparently the spring break incident that actually happened was that he wanted to make a fake ID to take with him on spring break because he was going to like, Miami or something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he broke into some equipment storage at his university. Okay. And he stole a bunch of equipment and he planted a pipe bomb in the university. Oh, they do mention that. Okay, they do. Okay, I don't know if you remember, but like they are going to put him on the stand to testify about the blow poke that he found it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're like, they're going to dig up anything on you. And so they do mention that and he acts really blase about it. He's like... Okay, like, it was one pipe bomb, and I, like, I, he said, like, something like it wasn't a real pipe bomb or something. Yeah, so 
online, the information that I saw said that it was a real pipe bomb, but that he like set it up so that it would not detonate. Like he didn't actually want it to so go it's off. it's just like a threat? It was like he wanted it to like basically frame someone else for, yeah, I don't know. What? But apparently after that incident and they like somehow found out that it was him, mm-hmm. they like searched his... I don't know if it was his apartment or his dorm Mm -hmm. or if this was at the Peterson house. I have no idea. Mm -hmm. But they found, like, more pipe bombs. Like, he was just... This wasn't, like, something he did one time. Like, he was clearly sitting around making pipe bombs, allegedly. But, like, for what reason? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Is it just, like, these guys are, like, weirdly violent and have, like, a little bit of a complex and need people to realize how important they are? I mean, maybe. Because <laughs> that's kind of what it seems like to me. But, but, like, in the drama series, it's shown that, like, he was on a bad path and he was the fuck up before Michael went to jail. And then when Michael went to jail, he started to get his life together. Mm-hmm. He, like, stopped drinking. He, like, settled down with his girlfriend. They had a kid. They had two kids. And it just, like, changed the trajectory of his life because he decided he didn't want to be like Michael is basically like, yeah. the, what the implication was. And that Todd went the opposite way. Like, he went off the rails thinking, like, I already am like Michael, basically, because he was, like, the golden child. Michael loved him. He put all the responsibility on him. And then he just, like, failed himself, basically. Yeah. Every time he would, like, try to get his dad to, like, give him a responsibility and he mm-hmm. would just give it to the other son. Just, and completely like, ignore him. Like, yeah, like, act like he wasn't even speaking. It's fucking crazy. Which is, like, another thing that I'm, like, psychopath. Like, mm-hmm. why, like... Who behaves this way? I just, I don't understand it. And, like, it's funny because I found that he had said, like, the only thing I found that Todd Peterson said about the show was that the picture of Michael and Kathleen bickering all the time was not true. I saw that, And that they had a perfect marriage and they never fought and blah, 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 blah. Like, he stood up for that. But he never said the depiction of me was wrong. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes sense if he's still standing by his dad so strongly. Like, he wouldn't want to talk about himself. He would be like, no, like, this is the part I'm upset about because my dad is innocent, blah, blah, blah. I think that reinforces the depiction of him in the show because he has said openly i'm estranged from my father i have not talked to my father in years Mm -hmm. but he's still willing to 100 defend him after like like i honestly if it were me and everybody in the world thought that my dad was guilty i just wouldn't make comments on it even if i thought he was not guilty because you're not going to win there you just look delusional yeah like he is delusional he's still trying to get his father's i don't know favor even though they don't even talk that's crazy yeah. And no offense, I, Todd Peterson, if you're listening. <laughs> I don't. See a therapist. I don't think, for real, I don't <laughs> think he's listening, but <laughs> just just a wild guess. Just in case. <laughs> also, the actor who played him was really cute, but no offense, the actor who played Clay was not as good looking, and it was like a sad bummer. <laughs> you know what? That is... I don't remember what they look like in real life, so I can't say if, like, one was more attractive than the other or, like, whatever. The actor that played Todd Mm -hmm. is Patrick Schwarzenegger. Yes. Of Schwarzenegger fame. fame. (laughs) Correct. I agree. Like, he's, like, weird looking, kind of. But I kind of 
I don't know. I thought that with him and also the girl that played Martha, like I appreciated that they kind of looked like regular people. Like, yes, of course, yeah. Martha's like, you know, probably if you put her <laughs> in a room with like regular people, you'd be like, oh yeah, she's gorgeous. But mm-hmm. compared to like most people that are on TV, like she just looked pretty regular. That's true. I don't know. But that was also them trying to be like, she's a tomboy. I guess. Yeah. They like played, like they didn't give her like makeup and their hair was always like ratty or whatever. Yeah. Whereas like Sophie Turner always looks like Sophie Turner. I must say. And Olivia DeJong always looks like Olivia DeJong. Yes. Um, I must say though, like there was an, there is a whole article that I'll have to send you. I didn't actually read it, but I like just looked at it and chuckled to myself. It was like talking about how the wigs really stole the show. <laughs> Um, a wig okay. yeah so and you know what they're right there's a lot of <laughs> happy pride month there are a lot of hair moments going on oh my god but the blue hair is the blue hair was a little bit much for me like it stole the show in a bad way for me but like as someone who has had that hair i can appreciate it because that is very like 2000s like like yeah i'm, I'm i mean i've definitely had blue hair yeah so. And, like, mine was also kind of, like, dip-dyed like that. So, you know, do what you got to do. It was a little crazy. Yeah. Also, the implication that they did that in one night in a hotel room to her hair. Mm, no. Yeah, no. Like, she had red hair before yeah, they started. They would have had to bleach it, like, twice at least to mm-hmm. get it to be blonde enough to pick up color. And even then, it would probably still have a little hint of red, so it would have turned, like, a weird purple color. Um, <laughs> but... Anyway, clearly that's my biggest complaint about this whole thing. (laughs) The Um, the unrealistic hair expectations. (coughs) Okay. It might be time to talk about the most uncomfortable I've felt in a very long time. Uh Uh-oh. What is that time? The very last scene with Colin Firth sitting on his little bed. And just staring, a soulless stare into the camera, and then doing a horrifying little smile. Yeah. I... After he set up a picture of Kathleen on his bedside. I wanted to cease to exist. I was... (laughs) It was so... It was skin crawling. Yes. It was. It was. I just... I... Everything about that last exchange. Like, he gets in that fight with Sophie. He tells her, like... He doesn't want to be with women anymore. And he uh, d- doesn't know if he loved or loved her. And then she leaves. And the first thing he does is, even after he made all of his kids uncomfortable at that dinner they had when he came back, he calls them, all of them, and none of them pick up his call. And he's leaving a message for one of his kids like, oh, it looks like I'm not moving to Paris after all. So what are you guys doing, basically? And then he sits on his little bed and does his little smirk, like, ah, I got out of it, basically. And I know that was, like, like, it's meant to be sort of ambiguous, like, is that what he's thinking, or is he just, like, thank God I'm out of prison, or whatever? Or even, like, he didn't actually kill Kathleen, but he successfully manipulated his way out of prison anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's very clear that, like, uh, if anything, that implies... That he manipulated Sophie and he got his way and he was never going to go to Paris with her. He just used her. Yeah. Or the alternative, which is like, look, I've known this type of closeted person before where like they apply that denial 
to everything in their life because they just live in a constant state of denial. Mm -hmm. So it could just be that when he was in that situation in prison and like Sophie was talking to him about Paris, like he was just like going with the flow and just like, oh, I'm on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he might not even have like thought he would get out of prison. (laughs) Or he might not even have like looked within himself to really ask the question because those people tend to try not to do that. That's fair. They're like, I'm not looking too closely at anything. I'm just skipping along. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely see the option of like. What's that? The window? Um, that might have been a raccoon. But we'll have to see. Mr. Raccoon, sir? Oh, he didn't answer. (laughs) Oh, I guess it's not a raccoon. Yeah, Hannah lives in the fucking woods, just so you know. <laughs> um, I have to tell you about the raccoon saga that happened the other night, oh my God. which is why I brought up raccoons. You but... have to leave it on the podcast because it's funny. You... That'll be at the end when we talk about whatever we want to talk about. So I should save my raccoon saga? Is yeah, I want to hear it at the end of the podcast. Okay, sounds good. Um, <laughs> back to what we were talking about, which was like, yeah, he might never have wanted to go to Paris and was just manipulating her. Or he might have just been like, he thought at the time that he wanted to go, but then once he actually thought about it, he was like, mm-hmm. No, it seems like I'm now responsible for interacting with other humans and being regular, and I simply can't. Ugh. I would rather be by myself. I can't. I don't understand how someone could have such a flat, like, no personality, but then also be, like, a wild narcissist. Like, it just comes off so unsettling. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird kind of vibe. I hate it. How could she have fallen for him? And how come some people said that he was charismatic? Like I never saw it in that documentary. He was so off-putting. Yeah. Like every like I've said I didn't see the documentary, but every clip that I've seen of him, every time I've heard him speak, like when they play audio clips on podcasts and stuff, mm-hmm. like I just I can't. Like he's just so weird. <laughs> like I never I can't understand how he could have manipulated anyone but apparently he did over and over again like mediocre white man gets away with it again like i don't know seriously (laughs) all right so are we doing out of 10 do we always do out of 10 i can't remember yes okay so how many owls (laughs) we didn't even talk about that but that was like a thing in both the germany staircase murder and Kathleen Peterson's murder, that one of the theories after Michael had been accused and was serving time was that an owl came in and attacked her and she fell down the stairs because of it. And you know what? That happening once, I could almost buy. Yeah. Especially because they did find, like, microscopic feathers. Although, from what I've heard on podcasts that talk about that, like, experts said... That in an area like that, you would be likely to find microscopic feathers on anyone that had been outside. Yeah. So Especially because they were laying by the pool before she was murdered. Yeah. And they were outside, obviously. They lived in like a woodsy area. And at the time, the owls were mating and stuff. So they would be like out and about. Yeah. And they thought that she put out the little reindeer thing, at least in the, um, in the drama series, series, she put out her little Christmas reindeer on the front lawn. So Mm -hmm. she was like outside, like moving stuff around. Like she could have gotten anything on her. Exactly. But, 
Anyway, yeah, that happening once, I could almost see, but not twice. Yeah. No. Yeah, no. In the same man's life. And the fact that he failed to mention to his defense attorney that he also knew someone else that exactly. fell down the stairs and he was the last one to see them. Like, that's the weirdest, like, that is an uncanny, strange event. Like, if that happened and it happened again, the first thing I would tell my attorney is, there is a weird coincidence here. But that's that's the other thing that gives me psychopath vibes, is that he <laughs> thinks he's so much smarter than everyone and, like, nothing could ever go wrong. But you can't do it twice. You know that's not smart. No, he just thought that, he thought that no one would find out about it. Oh my god. Because he, like, he didn't come clean and tell them about it. Like, they found out. <gasps> oh my god, I just had a thought. What? Okay, so he says at some point in the drama series that Kathleen always says, like, that you realize that you're everyone in your books, right? So all his characters are basically based off him. And that's also what Martha says when she starts reading his books when he gets out of prison. So what if, because he's basing everything off of what he knows, he thought he could be like, oh, like maybe the lady in Germany really did fall and have an accident. And he was like, oh, I can make it look like she had an accident at the bottom of the stairs because I know that that, that is plausible and it works. Yeah, I think I've heard that on like true crime podcast before very like upsetting. weird inspiration and that's also very you like, do an inspiration killing i forbid uh, it <laughs> i many people would beg to differ I unfortunately i, I hate don't it so yeah, much i don't like it but here we are um but yeah like apparently people have proposed that he saw that happen and like just filed it away just in case he would ever need it in the future, which is very creepy. You cannot file away an accidental death. Cause it's also not like it happened like a month later. Like this happened years and yeah, years, years later. later. Like he really, ugh. no, I hate that. And like, can I just say what a joy it was to watch this series with my parents who didn't know anything about the case? Oh, they didn't? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> because every time something would happen, they'd be like, what? And I'd be like, oh, just it's wait. Crazier. Just wait. And the owl thing happened. They were like, what? Everything that happens in this man's <laughs> life is absolutely fucking bananas. I get like a weird delight out of like seeing people experience a story for the first time <laughs> that I just know is just super crazy and they don't even know what's happening that must have been a wild ride for them it was because he gets convicted in like the fourth episode Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they were like wait how many episodes yeah Yeah. i was like oh no we are halfway through Mm -hmm. and they were like uh what and i was like just wait she gets crazy i gotta tell my mom to watch it because i got her into like true crime stuff over the um quarantine like, I got her into, like, forensic files and stuff. So, she's always, like, like drama series like that. So, mm-hmm. I'm like, this is the perfect blend for you. Yeah. Okay, so we said, how oh, many yeah. owls? Yeah, that's right. That's right. That was, like, a little <laughs> tangent but of stuff that we should have talked about before. But Sorry. We got distracted because of our long intermission. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. One owl is bad. Ten owls <laughs> is good. <laughs> or, in this case, one owl is not entertaining. Mm-hmm. Ten owls is interesting. Okay. Because murder is not fun. Correct. <laughs> no matter how, no matter if it's fake or not, or based on real life. I will give it, I feel like no matter what I say, you're going to have some kind of, you're going to have some kind of feeling about it. Um, I haven't even thought about what I want to give it, so you go first. Of course. <laughs> Always do this to me. No, I don't. You do, every time. <laughs> We're going to go back and listen to the tapes and be like, who goes first every time? Spoiler alert, it's me. No, it's not. <laughs> um... 
I'll give it eight owls. Wow, that's really high for you. Okay, yeah, that's the thing. Is like, I just really like TV. I do too. Like, I think like, because often on this podcast, like probably nine times out of ten, we talk about movies. Yeah. And while I do love movies, I just, there's something about like the prolonged aspect of TV that Mm -hmm. like allows me to really get hooked in. And like, I'm walking around in between watching episodes and like thinking about it and ruminating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it really just adds new depth to the experience. I feel the exact same. I love television as a medium way more than film. And I don't know why. Like, I guess it just has something to do with like, the amount of time you get to flesh out characterization. And, like, for me, characterization is everything. It carries the whole thing. Like, even if the plot's good, like, if I don't give a shit about the characters, I'm not going to give a shit about the end outcome. Yeah. And what I will say is that I, I, after I just said, like, how much I like the prolonged aspect, I do Mm -hmm. think that this was, like, maybe two episodes too long. Like, I think it could have been slightly more condensed. Mm -hmm. Mostly because... I don't know if it was just that I didn't like Sophie, but I feel like they spent a lot of time on her. Yeah, they did. And a lot of it was kind of this thing that I'm finding is my pet peeve in movies and TV, which I didn't really know about until like a year ago or so. When like two scenes basically serve the same purpose Mm -hmm. and they just like are showing you more scenes that don't add anything new. Like it's Mm -hmm. just like reinforcing Like, yes, we get it. Like, she thinks that he's infallible and she's falling for him. Mm -hmm. And everyone around her is like, no, how could you? Like, that same conversation happens, like, three or four times. And I was just kind of sick of it. At some point, I was like, okay. Yeah, I would say that that's bad filmmaking. Yeah. Like, that's not good for narrative. Like, it almost, it's that thing that feels like they came up with three possibilities for scenes to show that. And then they, like just decided to go with all of them Mm -hmm. instead of just picking one. Just Mm -hmm. pick one. But, I don't know. They say, like, in television and film, like, everything that you're seeing, you're seeing for a purpose and for a reason. So if you're seeing it three times, like, I don't know if that was their way of, like, saying we really got to drive this home or if they were just, like, torn about how to represent it each time. Yeah. Hard to say. I liked Sophie. I kind of, I felt bad for her. I mean, I felt bad for her, but... I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on her. I just, I think it was a little bit too much time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I agree. Like maybe an episode or two, too long. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of the stuff with the kids too got a little repetitive as well with like, and you know, like Margaret and Martha's story I think was really important, but I do mm-hmm. think maybe like some of those scenes were a little too long, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, those are like, if I really want to be nitpicky, like that's what I would be nitpicky about mm-hmm. um, in addition to like the unnecessary um violence of the death scenes yeah um that was a little bit but at the same time like that's not tony collette's fault oh that she's just such a good actress that like it makes you want to die yeah just watching her that's die. true that's true <laughs> and like yeah they chose to make it that long or whatever but mm-hmm. she's just so good that so good and like that's why i'm giving it an eight out of ten honestly like yeah in terms of like plot and pacing and all of that stuff, like, it was good, but I, it wasn't, like, amazing or anything, but mm-hmm. because of Tony Collette and Colin Firth yeah. and their phenomenal work, mm-hmm. like, it They're just... freaking extreme talent, I guess. Yeah. It's not even that the source material is, like... Because, you know, sometimes you give someone great source material and it just, like, 
makes mm-hmm. them look like a better actor than they are. But <laughs> this is like the opposite. Like the source material is like decent and then they just take it to a new level and it's amazing. Yeah. And I'm just like, this is what acting is supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. And if only everyone could be so talented. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that for me, I think Tony Collette overshadowed Colin Firth at at some points mm-hmm. like her acting was so good that it felt like maybe like some of his was maybe flat and okay. I, I don't know if that was him portraying Michael Peterson mm-hmm. yeah it's like if that say. was like a direction choice or an acting yeah. choice or if she was just so good that it was like no one could compare I think part of it too if I'm gonna like be generous I think part of it is like because they wanted it to remain open-ended and ambiguous throughout, mm-hmm. I think he probably couldn't give too much away. Because if if mm-hmm. he had, like, a really wild outburst, like, early on, I mm-hmm. think it would, like, really color the whole thing a certain way. And, like, they wanted to kind of make him a little flat just so that you have a question mark the whole time. That's fair. But it could also just be that. Tony Collette overshadowed him. I don't know <laughs> because she is so good. I know. Like, bef- before we stop talking about this, because I know we like already rated it, but I forgot until right now the scene where she goes up in the attic in her <gasps> bra and to get rid of the bats. Yeah. Yes, oh I was so like, proud of her. I was like, she's crazy. Were there bats in real life? Do we know that? I don't know. That's so weird. I like. Was that I, supposed to be like a metaphor? Yeah, that's a good question. I wonder if that's something that he wrote about in his book oh. or if like maybe I'm imagining like if this actually happened, like Kathleen would have been telling her sisters like how mm-hmm. annoyed she was about the bats and mm-hmm. the plumbing. And like I have told Michael 500 times and mm-hmm. he's not helping. He's not calling anyone. He's just letting the bats hang out. God, so wild. In a shocking turn of events, I'm also going to read it Eight Owls. And this is the first time we have, like, a matching. We're usually pretty close. Yeah, we're close, but we never completely match. Yeah. And this is just, that's just testament to the fact that I really like television. Because, like, <laughs> like if this was a movie, let's be real, I'd probably be giving it a 7.5, which is, like, my go-to number. But, <laughs> you know. Like a shoe size? Like a 7.5? That, that is my shoe size. Oh, my God, size. I knew. <laughs> but, yeah, no. That's so. wild. So you'll give it an eight. I'll, I'm going to give it an eight, a solid eight. It made me interested in the Peterson family. And I think that the docuseries didn't do that for me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the Peterson family to me were very creepy, very weird, and very culty. <laughs> and I think in this, they were very real. And I got to see a side of them that was much more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um... And it was interesting to see a different perspective of, like, the documentary making and the case itself. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, in the documentary, the subject is Michael Peterson and his family. But in the drama series, the subject is the documentary. Yeah. It is a, it is a weird kind of meta thing. It's very thing. meta. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I mean, and obviously the acting is amazing. I thought the direction was so good. The dialogue was so good. Like, it was very believable. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And there's there's something about, like, I, I think I've used this phrase before, but the intimacy of seeing a family falling apart at its themes is so, I don't know, it's so scary to yeah. me. Yeah. Th- and I think that's part of what makes you 
more willing to be empathetic towards Michael because you have the stakes of like, I don't want these children to be related to a murderer. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't want them to be sad and upset and traumatized, even Mm -hmm. though it's a little late for that. Yeah. So you like have that one little part of your heart that's like, oh no, I get it. I get why you're like defending him. Yeah. Like, because I like you. Yeah. I immediately would get why someone would be in denial. They don't want to believe that about their patriarch. Like that, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it makes me feel empathy for them. Yeah. But I, and I, I can't speak. I don't know. I've never been in that situation. I don't know what I would do. I would like to think that I would remain, like a piece of me would remain logical and be like, no, like my father definitely killed my mother or whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. Something about the psychology of the whole thing was very well done. And yes, it is a little bit trauma porn. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit exploitative. I will agree, which is why I'm not rating it higher. So, but eight is pretty high. It is pretty high. Like, I feel a little bad, but, (laughs) but it was good. I know, Antonio, you did a good job, Mr. Director Compost. Yeah. Mr. Director Compost. Mm -hmm. Mr. Director Compost, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know that you care deeply about what we think about your work, and we're here to tell you. (laughs) I know you're listening to this podcast that gets put out once a year. Yeah, listen. (laughs) Hey, we released an episode in February. Let's see. Oh, that's this ain't bad. true. This We're in the bad. middle of the year. We could do another one at the end of the year. You never know. Yeah. Y'all could get a Christmas surprise. Once again, you never know when this is going to happen. <laughs> that's the beauty and of Taqua. Earlier when my computer crashed, we didn't know when it was going to happen either. <laughs> I would have been so fucking depressed if we had to record that over. Yeah, I would have probably suggested that we do it another day just because like the fatigue of doing it twice in a row, I think, would have come through. Yeah. We wouldn't have had the same commentary in the same way. And I was really proud of what we had already done. And now you got to hear it. Congratulations. <laughs> um, They're like, ew, that's what you were fucking proud of? Gross. <laughs> listen. <laughs> we're doing our best. Uh, we never claim to be perfect. All fucking four of our friends that listen enjoy it, all right? Yeah. <laughs> um raccoon story oh yes okay so (laughs) hannah has a raccoon story that i want her to put on the podcast so we're gonna listen to it okay um it's not that exciting but i was up really late on saturday night no friday night i'm already bad at storytelling (laughs) um i was up really late on friday night i was eating cereal in my room at 3 Mm a.m as as you do do. Because what is a better time to eat cereal, honestly? <laughs> it's just, there's something so magical about it. Is it is a 3 a.m. food. Yeah. Right. It's the an, witching hour. It's an anytime food, but it's, like, better at 3 a.m. <laughs> anyway, so I, like, was hearing, like, a weird noise, and I couldn't figure out what it was, and then I realized it was my cat, like, doing, like, gra- like deep oh, no. guttural growling, and I was like, oh, like, there's probably a cat, like, outside. So I came into the living room, and we have a giant slider glass door, and... I couldn't see out because it was pitch black outside, but I saw that my cat was, like, by the glass door and, like, all puffy. So I was like, oh, there's something out there. So I had to do the dramatic reveal of flipping on the outside light. Oh, no, that's so scary. I was like, is there going to be a fucking bear here? What is, like, a person? Oh, I left something out. I I don't know why I left this out, but before I came in to check, I heard, like, a loud, like, bang and rattle. Almost like something hit the door. So I wasn't sure if that was my cat smacking the door from the inside or something else smacking the door oh, from the outside. Oh, no, I don't I like this. Like, yeah. But anyway, I turned, I flipped on the light, dramatic reveal, big ass 
monster raccoon. <laughs> Jesus. How big? Like, he, give an estimate. He was a big boy. <laughs> um, probably, like, probably, like, three Glories big. Oh, no. Like, Glory is her cat, and she's very chonkers. Yeah, she's she's chonky, but, yeah, no, he was a big boy. And I'm not even saying fat. Like, he was just large. He was a large <laughs> animal. Monster. Um, and I was like, what the fuck? And he stood up on his hind legs, <gasps> oh, as gosh. they do. They're so scary sometimes. So I banged on the door to try to get him to go away, and then he, like sauntered casually to the other side of the patio. <laughs> so I followed him in, you know, through the house over to the other side. I turned on that light. This raccoon, like he looked at me, I opened the door and left the screen door closed and mm-hmm. started like rattling the screen door to try to scare him off. Mm-hmm. And he just kept looking into my eyes like, mm, is that all you got? <laughs> Raccoons are so fucking brave. He jumped up on the patio furniture. He was oh, sniffing no. around. My mom has a little ashtray out there that has a cover on it, mm-hmm. and it was sitting on the table. And he started reaching his little raccoon hands up to the ashtray like he was going to pull the top off. Oh, my God. Like, Girl, you don't want that. But I was, like, yelling at him. Roxy comes out because she hears the commotion. Roxy's a dog. But she just stops, and, like, she sees that I'm up, and she just apparently decided that I had it under control. <laughs> so she just... So she's not a guard dog. So she just wandered back to bed. <laughs> oh, my God. My dad got up because he heard everything. He, like, came to the door and yelled at the raccoon and, like, was clapping and rattling the door. <laughs> and finally it left. But then... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> I, like, heard a little noise. And I was like, what? And I looked and there was another smaller raccoon oh, in no. the pond swimming. Oh, no. Swimming? Swimming. <laughs> having the best time. And you know what? This all makes sense because this was the night when it had gotten the hottest that it had in a while. So okay. I get, like, they were looking for water. like, yeah. And they found it. They found a little pond. Mm-hmm. And the problem with this is that their little claws rip through the lining of the pond. Mm. And then it, like, leaks. And then we have to, like, find the lining or reline it or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. a huge thing. So my dad gets very upset when there's raccoons in his pond. <laughs> so, like, he got a flashlight, like, a really bright flashlight. And he was, like, shining it in its face and, like, yelling and rattling <laughs> the door and screaming and clapping. And it was just swimming having the best time. So it was Hannah's family versus the raccoons. Yeah. And... The funniest part of this to me was that <laughs> we we still had the lights off in here so that we could see better outside. Mm-hmm. And my dad ran into this glass coffee table <laughs> that we have in here thrice. Like, of course. Like he, every time he would like go to the other door, he would hit his shin on the coffee <laughs> table. And I was like, careful. This thing is a monster. It really is. But anyway, that was our little raccoon saga. He eventually got it to, to go, but... Ugh. Yeah, when you live in Southern California in the foothills, monster raccoons like that are very regular. Yeah. And they're very aggressive. I love raccoons. They're very cute, but they're mean. Yeah. They're I, I have to say my favorite raccoon thing, though, that I've ever witnessed is when I was driving up my street really late at night and there was a raccoon, I kid you not, sitting on the curb. He, <laughs> he was sitting on the curb like he was waiting for his Uber. <laughs> Like, so, like, he was sitting like a person. It was so wild. Do you think they watch people and, like, emulate them? I don't know. I think maybe their little bodies are just, like... Like made for sitting. Yeah. (laughs) He just, he just wanted to sit down, have a little rest. Their, like, spines freak me out. Because, like, if they're sitting, they look kind of regular. Even if they're, like, crawling on, like, 
all fours. They're kind of like walking regular. But when they run, they suddenly have the biggest humpback I've ever seen. Yeah. It looks like their spine is a perfect U-shape. Well, it makes sense too because it is so startling when they stand up on their hind legs. You like it's don't so realize tall. like it's got to extend from somewhere. <laughs> and it's from that U-shape. They just straighten it out and you're like, oh shit. They're very scary. And then they hiss. Yeah. They're very mean. Yeah. They're wild. They're little chompers. Yeah. But you know what? Better a raccoon than any of the other things it could have been when a I bear, turned on the light. A mountain lion. A coyote even. I <sighs> do not appreciate. Yeah. So I, I wasn't sure what I was going to see when I flipped on the light. <laughs> and she has seen a bear. I have seen multiple bears. Never in my backyard. Oh, okay. I've seen a bear in my front yard. Okay. Um, was not a fan of that. It was like trying to go through our trash can. Um, Fine. You know, we always talk about this, like, before I have to leave and walk out into the dark by myself. <laughs> and every time I walk down, I'm like, a mountain lion's going to come at me at any point in time. There have been some sightings recently. I'm oh, your no, I'm scared. Oh, man. They're going to get me. How about let's do what we're watching and reading and listening to, Corner. Really okay. Quick before we have to go. Okay. Um... I don't have much to add to this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have to be gay. You could just say what you're watching or looking at or whatever. Okay. What am I watching? Um, I'm watching the most recent season of Alone, which okay. is that reality show where people go out in the wilderness and have to survive. Oh, like naked and afraid, but better. So much better. Okay. Yeah. Because so, they're not naked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, it's also because they can take items and it's like more... It's like more real survival. Yeah. And it's more serious. So it's just, it's more interesting to watch. Okay. Um, I've been on my third playthrough of Breath of the Wild. So that's mostly okay. what's been taking up my time, honestly. <laughs> um, I'm trying to get all 900 Koroks. Right now I have like 650. You're getting close. I am. And you know what? I'm a moron because I didn't realize that the whole time, not the whole time, but you know, for the past couple months in my inventory, I've had this mask mm -hmm. that when you put it on, it like alerts you where there's, when there's a Korok nearby. And oh, yeah. I didn't even realize that I had that mask. Like, oh. Cause I never like really looked through my inventory cause I just wear the same like three things over and over again. So that was my bad. <laughs> I could have found a lot more by now. We were all rooting for you. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I have so many clothing items in my inventory. <laughs> if only I knew how to read. And oh then, no! Then, then I could have read the description, and it would have told me. <laughs> so she can't read. That's the news. Yeah. So she's not reading anything. The, why do you think I'm listening to audiobooks? It's because I can't read. No, it's because I read all day for my job, and then I don't want to read anymore. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I finished Stranger Things Part One, so I don't know when we're releasing this, but Part Two isn't out at the time of recording. Mm -hmm. Um, they did the same thing for Better Call Saul, like, and I didn't know that oh, they were doing that, and they were like, we'll be back in July, and I was like, hey. <laughs> yeah, that's how I feel about it. I'm pretty upset about it, because I want to know what happens. It's probably the best season of Stranger Things yet. I love it so much. It is so very good. Do not talk to me about plot holes. I cannot hear you. <laughs> oh, so there are some plot holes is what I'm hearing. I mean, there's some things where you're like, what the fuck does that mean? But maybe we're going to find that out in part two. Yeah, you know what? That's fair. Like, save your complaints about plot holes until... The whole the, season. Yeah, the whole season. Because sometimes, even if it's poorly done, sometimes they will, like, haphazardly try to cover in, yeah, like, fill in fine. those plot holes, and then at least an attempt was made. They could tell me about that later. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so watch that, obviously. And obviously we all know that there is a queer character on there. He just hasn't come out, so I'm rooting for him to come out this year. Oh. 
I don't know anything about that. How did you not get that from the last season? I didn't watch last oh, season. Oh, you didn't remember? watch the third season. I've only okay. watched one and two. Well, then I won't ruin it. Because I heard that season three was not super. Like, I engaging. didn't like it very much. Yeah. Yeah. It was okay. Yeah. But I, since you have been like raving about season four, I think I will go back Yay. to it. Do oh, it. that's what I've been watching. Another reality show. I've, what is it? I've been watching garbage recently. <laughs> no, just Project Runway. I just, oh, I like Project Runway. And it's like the the most recent season is like really on my nerves right now. <laughs> like there's a person that I really hate with my whole chest. Like oh I just God. really I hate her so much and I want her to go home and she keeps like just <laughs> scraping by by the skin of her teeth. Uh. Ugh, there's always one of those. And there's, like, people that I really wanted to stay, even though, like, they put out bad looks. But, you know, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. they had a bad week or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, like, they go home and she stays. And I'm like, absolutely not. I hate not. that so much. That happens a lot on that show in particular. I think it's the way they do judging. Yeah. And here's the thing is, like, she has a very particular point of view. And her point of view is making clown clothes for clowns. Oh, no. Um, and... Yeah, you know who you are, clown lady. A nightmare. Um, and she... John Wayne Gacy's daughter. For real. <laughs> like, just, it's abs... The stuff she makes is preposterous, but the judges are like, oh, it has such a clear point of view. I knew it was yours when it walked down the runway. I'm like, yeah, because it looks like a clown. Right? Like, that doesn't make it good just because I know who made it. Yeah. But, you know, they really dig into people that make things that they think are predictable or, like... Oh, you could buy that in a store right now. I'm like, yeah, but it's still better than clown clothes. (laughs) One of the guys that they sent home, he made like a look that, yeah, you could absolutely like buy it at the mall. Mm -hmm. I see that as a criticism, but it was still a cute look. Okay. So to me, I... Like you're going to pick cute look over like something that's like shocking. Although we do know that judges love a gimmick on that show. And here's the thing. For, for stuff, for challenges that are, like, avant-garde or, like, mm-hmm. you're supposed to do something wild, like, yeah, by all means. But hers isn't quite there. Like, it's, like, subdued clown. Like, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I don't get it. I am not on That's her like side. when people go for camp and they can't reach it and you're like, this is the worst. Yes, and it's the worst because <laughs> she's not going for camp. She is so sincere about no, her No, I hate it. She really thinks everything looks cute. I'm going to have to look up who this is Oh, we're I will done. show you. Yeah, when we're done, I'll show you. But anyway, that's my little Project Runway rant. Um, okay. It's probably old news at this point. I don't know who wins because I am very careful about looking up spoilers. Okay. So. Um, my current reality show obsession is, of course, MasterChef. I love MasterChef so much. Really? I fucking love it. I don't know why. I think it's because I love Gordon Ramsay. Okay. Yeah, you do have a little bit of a thing I for Gordon him. Ramsay. I call them daddy issues, but the daddies that I like are getting too old. And so my friend called me out online the other day and she said they're granddaddy issues. And oh, she's right. Yeah. Because I was like talking about Jeff Goldblum and she was like, honey, granddaddy. Okay, but how old is Gordon Ramsay's daughter? Not that old. No, she's like a teenager. I think she's like 18 or 19. So you can still say that that's daddy issues. <laughs> I think his son is older. Oh, bummer. Yeah. So close. Um, What are you reading? So many things. But I, anything gay? I read a lot because I have a book club. Um, in addition to the website I run with my friends, we started it as a book club. I know you read Firestarter recently. We did read Firestarter. Firestarter is, spoiler, my favorite Stephen King book ever. 
And when I found out the movie was going to come out, I was like, okay, book club, we have to read this. Sorry, you're all reading it. They loved it. They said it was great. It's the first Stephen King book either of them have read. Oh. They loved it so much. The movie, not as much. Mm, yeah, it, I heard. It was a flop, but it wasn't, it was an entertaining flop. Uh, people were very critical of it, and I think they're wrong. I think it wasn't that bad. Like, okay. They're so dramatic. I can't. It wasn't. Everyone was like one out of ten, zero out of ten, and I'm like, no, honey, it was like a five. Like, it's are you talking? Are you talking critics or audience or both? Critics. Okay. I think the okay. audience were more forgiving. I was talking to um our dear friend Tyler mm-hmm. about this the other night. Shout I, out to Tyler. I really feel that in the past couple years, critics have gotten like super rabid for no reason. So salty. Like, there are several movies I can think of off the top of my head that I the most critical of critics like watch and I was like that was fine and then critics were like the worst thing to ever burn out my eyelids and you're like okay relax literally that is yeah I don't listen to critics like I will look up the Rotten Tomato score and we'll tell you that on this podcast but I will also tell you the audience score because the audience will be like oh it was like 70% yeah the time that I don't trust that is with like psychological thrillers because the yes. audience tends to be like yeah the audience will be like 23 percent. they're like i didn't get i didn't it, get it so i didn't yeah. like it exactly like, okay it's not my fault that you're stupid yeah. um <laughs> that, that's how i felt about um vivarium so i did watch that pretty recently with jesse eisenberg um the audience was like no but the critics were like yes and it, it's a psychological thriller yeah, and i was like they just always, didn't get it yeah. it's fine i thought it was really good so even if it was like a little weird and campy in the end i thought it was good yeah we also uh, read Jurassic Park because of the new Jurassic World. You're just going you know? on your little favorites tour. You did. I love it. I'm so sorry. I just loved it a lot. <laughs> um, you know what I read that um, you read? Um, Project Hail Mary. That's right. And that was very good. Um, it made me care about an alien spider. And that's saying a lot because I fucking hate spiders. So. But this is the cutest... <laughs> Oh, the cutest uh, alien spider. Protect him at all costs. With his little music notes, is he's so cute. I was, I told Sarah this while I was reading it, like months before she read it. I was ready to burn down the world if this <laughs> alien died. I was so, I was so, oh my god. No spoilers, but a lot of sad stuff happens, and I did cry like twice. Yeah, no, it's still a very sad book, but rest <laughs> assured that. You know, spoiler alert, Mr. Alien Spider Boy. He lives. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you know what I did have everybody read? Okay, so I've never read this. And I had never, believe it or not, I had never read an Agatha Christie novel, ever. So we read Death on the Nile before the movie came out. And it was really good, and I loved it, and I loved all the characters. Well, when we watched the movie, um, which is a little bit different, and I really enjoyed the movie, um, they made one of the characters, a lesbian. Oh. Yeah, and it was so sweet. And I was like, oh, that's so sweet. Because, like, some there's a lot of characters in the book. So they had to combine some of them. So she got combined with another character, and she was a lesbian in this iteration. And that was her secret, so she wasn't a murderer. Because they were like, you're hiding something. But it was not a murder. Okay. (laughs) And I was really happy. It was really cute. It was queer cute. Queet? Queet. (laughs) We have coined a new term That's here today. <laughs> this doesn't count because it was a rewatch and it was only the last season, but I finally forced Tyler to sit down and watch the last season of Schitt's Creek oh. and we cried. 
And then we put on the little documentary that explains like about the making of it. And they go like really in in depth about like the queer representation and like they show all the cast at like pride parades and stuff. And they read this letter from like these moms of queer kids saying like, thank you for like making my kid feel like they matter and all this stuff. And like all the actors are crying and then I'm just crying, even (laughs) though I've already seen it before. But it's just, it's just so good. It's such a wholesome, sweet show and the way that it ends is so perfect. Like I always say that like two shows that really did a good ending are Schitt's Creek and The Good Place. Like, oh, I love that. And it both, both of them have the same kind of energy where like there's bittersweet, but there's also like really wholesome. I don't know. I just, I just love it. And I hope that you can get through it one day. I'll try. I did. I got like a few more episodes in and I was like, mm, I could see it going somewhere. Like, yeah. Sense. And everyone really, even the hardcore fans are like, yeah, kind of like season two or three, it picks up a lot. So I started watching First Kill, which is a little teeny bopper drama series based on a short story that I actually really liked about a vampire and a hunter who like fall in love. Starcross lovers kind of Aww. thing. Um, it is very cheesy. It is not good, but I love it. <laughs> Okay. It's very CW esque. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so right now I'm only on like episode three, but my girlfriend who actually found the short story and read it to me once, and that's how I know about it. Um, she watched the whole thing already, <laughs> and she was like, "It's bad, but I can stop watching it." So that's our recommendation. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know. This we say like oh CW but like we're the ones that like I've watched Supernatural probably like mm-hmm. well seasons one through five I've definitely watched like four times yeah like I've watched the one hundred twice the I've Vampire Diaries Vampire Diaries twice at least like, three times for me yeah you know there's a certain type of TV that's like yeah the right mixture of good and bad if you want to acclimate your taste to it and like use mm-hmm. it in the right. It's mood. walking that line. I'll say that. Okay. Yeah. Mm, that's rough. Yeah. Something about it is just like, sometimes I'm like, this is so fucking stupid. And then other times I'm like, ooh, can't wait to see what happens. Like, it just depends on the moment in the episode. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, one thing I'll add. I watched this like a month ago, but you know what? And it's not gay. Um, okay. <laughs> I finally watched Licorice Pizza okay. um, with... Alana Haim in it, and I had a lot of mixed feelings about it, but not for the reasons that I thought I would. Okay. Because everyone on the internet was very up in arms about the fact that this portrays a 20-something-year-old girl falling in love with a teenager who is underage. Okay. That is the premise of the movie. Mm, didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, and it takes place in the 70s, and people were like mad at her for doing the movie because they thought she should have said no to it because it's like immoral or whatever Mm -hmm. but i didn't i didn't feel like the movie portrayed it as like a great thing like i think i think it was portraying it as like this is not healthy for either of them and it's not working I get where people's concern is coming from, and I absolutely agree that if the genders were swapped, like, people would probably have a very different, like, Mm -hmm. people would be more upset about it and wouldn't be like, oh, it's cute, or whatever, but I didn't get the vibe that it was meant to be cute, but I could be misinterpreting. Okay. Um, I also had some, 
wild whiplash feelings about the acting and or direction because there were some scenes in which the way that the lines were delivered were bananas bad in my opinion like <laughs> absolute like the first like couple scenes it was giving like happy riverdale like oh like you know what i mean mm-hmm. like they mm-hmm. were in a middle school play delivering lines okay so weird at other scenes, it was totally fine. So mm-hmm. I don't know what that was. If, like, it was just the director like the yeah, being like, oh, yeah, I like that scene for some unknown reason. Um, I thought it was way too long. Mm-hmm, okay. <laughs> like, it, again, the same thing. Just showing the same, like, giving you the same message with four different scenes that were basically just different versions of the same thing mm-hmm, that didn't need mm-hmm. to happen. Um, it was... You know, it was funny at times, um, but I don't agree with, like, the critics that were like, this is the best indie film of all time. It's so <laughs> That's what I've been great. hearing, so I haven't watched it yet, but... You've been hearing that it's the greatest, or yeah. that it's not? No, it's the greatest. It's, it's fine. Okay. Like, it's, it's fine. <laughs> what I think is sad is that people were, like, really mean to Alana about oh, it okay because they're like she's too ugly to be an actress <gasps> oh that's me I'm like first of all like ew. she's not yeah like first of all she's not second of all ew <laughs> also like I love how that got a lot of flack but no one ever talks about call me by your name where he's 24 and she's six and he's 16 yeah I think they try to excuse that because it was like in Europe or whatever and they do have like slightly different ideas about age of consent, but yeah, I, yeah. But you also have to keep in mind that I think call me by your name. Well, eventually Gen Z got to it. Mm -hmm. I think like initially they weren't, that wasn't like the main audience for it. Whereas this, I feel like Gen Z really went out to see this movie because there are a lot of Heim fans that are Gen Zers. And I think that they are much more attuned to that kind of social issue and are Mm -hmm. much more likely to talk about it, which on the one hand is good. But on the other hand, we get situations like the whole like kink shouldn't be a pride stuff that's going on right now. Um, so, I don't know if you're a Gen Z out there listening. Um, sorry if we're alienating you right now. Um, <laughs> we're just old millennials. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, and you know what? Like, I guess I'd rather have them overcorrect because like society is so shitty that like I'm glad someone's wanting to do something about anything. I mean, same. You I'm know, not I'm like, you know what? I respect the energy. Yeah. I don't always side with my millennial counterparts. Yes. Sorry to say. Yeah. So. <laughs> so I'm not trying to say like, oh, those stupid Gen Zers. Like, no, I think you guys are like. <laughs> You're onto something. The only hope we have, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I just think like maybe they react differently to certain things. But anyway, that's. That's fair. That's what I have to say about licorice pizza. It was fine. Okay. Anyway, we've talked for a pretty long time. This is a long-ass episode. I'm so sorry. I mean, who knows how long it'll be once I cut out our technical problem. Because you have to remember that this time that we're seeing on the screen right now includes uh, us sitting here panicking for 30 minutes. For 30, 40 minutes. And then whatever else you have to edit out. Yeah. So... It might be under an hour. 
No, 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 no. <laughs> probably gonna be an hour and 10 minutes which actually isn't super long but okay we'll see we'll see what happens um so if you've made it this far <laughs> and now we're talking about editing the episode because that's what you want to hear about so sorry we're rambling <laughs> listen we both worked today which we don't normally do we don't normally work in no, the record we so. usually do this on weekends yeah so in my defense i it's a monday have <laughs> brain brain no work good right now um <laughs> and on that note <laughs> Remember, the queers are watching. Bye. Bye.